After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. We've waited, we've waited, we've waited, and now we don't have to wait anymore because the new NHL season of a full 82-game schedule with not just division play, but playing other teams and other divisions and other conferences is underway. And Josh, last week we thought, well, we should probably, we'll probably have a couple of things to talk about. Thanksgiving has just passed in Canada. We have a bounty in front of us this week. It is quite the harvest. Everybody's involved. It's like we all came together around the Thanksgiving table. Player safety's here. The situation (laughs) room's here. Everyone showed up. Yes, everyone's contributed a little something, uh, maybe brought a little dish, kind of a potluck version of the Scouting the Refs podcast, which is, of course, brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings available for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS, R-E-F-S, when you go to manscaped.com for your order, you will receive 20% off that order and free shipping. We're into the middle of October. This is full-on pumpkin spice season, Halloween is fast approaching, leaves are littering the ground. Don't let that kind of debris start collecting on you. Go to manscaped.com, check out the full line of personal grooming products. We've been telling you about the great new Lawnmower 4.0. There's the Weed Whacker and so many other products. The other Manscaped products like the Crop Reviver, the Crop Cleanser, Yes, they do what the name says. I can't say too much yet, but there are even more products coming that we'll be telling you about in the days ahead. But, you know, Josh, even with temperatures falling, many are beginning to enjoy so-called sweater weather, and that's fine. But don't let the rest of you start looking like that big (laughs) woolly sweater that gets out of control sometimes. Right. You you want a cozy, comfortable sweater, but that doesn't mean you have to be a cozy, comfortable sweater because it's not all that cozy and not always that comfortable, which is why you want to have that option to take control, get the right tools, clean things up. And then, you know, when you do snuggle up, maybe it's a bit more comfortable thanks to Manscaped. There you go. Go to manscaped.com. Use our code REFS for your purchase. Get 20% off and get free delivery. On this week's episode, great debuts by ESPN and TNT, a spearing suspension, a kicked-in goal sinks the Kraken, the AHL welcomes female refs, Landeskog gets two, and who's got a hearing with player safety plus what might be next for officiating? I want to recognize... ESPN and TNT for debuting with some familiar new faces. And yes, we have former officials along to assist and analyze rulings and calls on both broadcasts. How about ESPN that has a setup where they will have cameras in the Situation Room in Toronto? Dave Jackson will be able to help dissect and provide insight. So I say this not to kick NBC and their coverage, but I'm really excited for the potential of what's to come on both ESPN and TNT. And Josh, I'm going to say it. 
I am going to kick the coverage in Canada because you can do better. Sportsnet spent millions on a new set, but really they've just shuffled things around. We have no officiating analyst. You can do better. Let's hope they do so. Absolutely. And there's plenty of options for them. We've got enough retired NHL officials, especially those living north of the border, that I'm sure have that wealth of knowledge and rules expertise that they would love to share out there. I think it adds so much to the broadcast, especially for those situations that might be a bit controversial or a bit confusing to broadcasters or especially to new fans to the game. And look at what we've had even in the first few days. As you mentioned, there has been so many different situations that could have called for an officiating analyst to help explain the rules and make it easier to digest. For sure. And and I think that's where the strength of both broadcasts of having these guys who can tap into that where we've said it before, you can't expect the analysts to be rule experts or, or maybe you should, but you can't at this point. So to have that guy to turn to, to have Dave Jackson to explain a situation or a coach's challenge or goaltender interference is, is such a huge opportunity, not only to help fans understand it, but really to grow the game. If you've been following Josh on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Scouting the Refs. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports. But you have been noting that Josh has been recognizing the debuts of new NHL officials as they make their way onto the ice for the first time in the regular season. And you can check out their stories on the ScoutingTheRefs.com website as well. We also have a bevy of new officials coming to the American Hockey League this year. Congratulations to hired referees Katie Gay, Kelly Cook, Samantha Hiller, Jacqueline Z. Howard, Elizabeth Mantha, Amanda Tassoni, and Laura White for the new season, along with linespersons Alexandra Clark, Kendall Hanley, and Kirsten Welsh. Is it linespersons? I, I, I think we need a bit of a ruling on that. But congratulations to these women who are all members of the American Hockey League this season. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, super, super excited to see these announcements and to have these women in the AHL officiating lineup. Alex Clark we have in the WHL this year, Kristen Welsh in the OHL and the ECHL. So the, these women are certainly finding spots and, and having opportunities in the various leagues. So I was really excited to see the number of officials that were able to join here. And, and Todd, I did struggle. Lines person, lines women, yeah. lines men, uh, line judges. You know, as a as a whole, the hockey world might have to consider that a little bit differently. The AHL is going with lines persons, so we're, we'll follow that nomenclature for now. But yeah, definitely a, a new area to delve into on what the leagues are going to refer to this. But either way, it's a great problem to have because it means that gender is not necessarily an issue when it comes to hiring officials. And these are super talented women who are coming in too. So great for them to have this opportunity. We hope that many of them will soon make the next step into the National Hockey League as well. And I know there's going to be a lot of focus on these first women to take that step. I really think, though, it's going to happen. And I think it's going to be a very short period of time before it does happen. There's going to be a lot of focus and attention on the physical aspect. And I think we can look forward to them soon receiving the same kind of comments that other officials do. Oh, that's brutal without any concern of gender. Um, I, I'm kind of making a joke about it, but I, I don't think the female physical aspect is going to be a big thing for very long because everyone will immediately point to, oh, well, how are they going to break up a fight if that becomes necessary? We, we see that lines people 
are called upon to break up physical altercations. And sometimes players do need to be separated, whether it's in the American Hockey League, whether it's in the National Hockey League. But most often, when an altercation occurs, it's done. It's over with. And controlling the game is not as much a physical aspect as it is mental with confidence and communication. We talk about so frequently in terms of officials and players on the ice. Right. It's it's almost like some folks disregard that there is verbal communication, that that people are talking out there, that that the officials are instructing the combatants to break it up, separate each other, things like that. It's not restraining a wild animal. It's not physically holding somebody back. And I mean, frankly, Steve Barton's not a huge guy. He's been in the league for years. Ray Scapanello, five foot seven, worked more games than anyone. You put two six foot four, 250 pound guys who want to fight, they're not going to be able to physically keep those guys apart. It comes down to having that ability to direct them on the ice, to have that, to be empowered with that authority to tell them what to do and that the players respect that. So I think it's it's a lot of respect. It's a lot of communication more than physically being able to hold guys back. If it, if it comes down to that, we're just going to have to give the officials tasers anyway. So <laughs> you might be onto something there. I don't know if anybody's thought or considered that. We have to we may have to look at that at uh, at some point before we get into some specific situations from these past few days and the opening of the National Hockey League season. Want to make mention as well of a terrific piece that is at the athletic.com from our friend Eric Dehachik talking about officiating as we get set to start the new season. He spoke with a number of prominent NHL people, including Ray Ferraro, Craig Button, Scotty Bowman, Stephen Walcom, about officiating in the NHL. What's happened so far? What's to come? He gave a nice shout out to the scoutingtherefs.com website as well. The crackdown on cross-checking that's taking place. And before I go too far, I haven't really noticed that as being a big deal this year. Everyone seems to either understand that it's going to be enforced more strictly, but nobody's making a big deal about that early on. No, and I don't think we've seen too many instances where anyone has complained that something that maybe they got away with before is now a penalty. And I feel like the cross-checking explanation we got drives that home because the examples the league cited, most people looked at them and said, you know what, that should have been a penalty in the first place. So while they may have recalibrated and there may be a crackdown on it, I think that net outcome of that is that they're calling what should have always been called. So maybe there's less of an adjustment than we thought would be necessary. The crackdown we'll keep an eye on moving forward. But I thought is I was reading Eric's piece on theathletic.com that it was interesting. And we talked about training camp this year for the officials for the first time in a couple of years. And I think that alone is going to help with the consistency of calls. They're, of course, given instructions on a regular basis. But I think it's important that they're all in the same place to get the exact same message at the same time. I was also very pleased to read that referees were given instructions on how to announce a penalty to the audience and of course by extension the viewing and listening audience i think that was i think that was very good i think it's also excellent that there's been a little discussion and perhaps will be a bit of experimentation with communication via bluetooth or other means between officials as well and I like that Scotty Bowman advocated for officials being able to sometimes take a second look to make a call if need be yeah, very interesting to hear that coming from a, a well-respected, well-connected guy like Bowman, who's open to finding ways to change the game for the better and, and just 
being open to those kinds of suggestions or to consider it, not saying every penalty needs to be reviewed, but there are certainly opportunities where, who knows, maybe there is a technological enhancement that could improve the situation or improve the game. So uh, good to hear that the league, and especially that Mr. Bowman is uh, actively open to hearing those kinds of things. He was definitely an innovator and and still is such a forward thinker. The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings for you available with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS at manscaped.com. Get 20% off your order and get free shipping. Before we get into the regular season, we had one straggler from the preseason with an additional ruling coming down by the league. Pittsburgh Penguins defenseman Mark Friedman was fined for spearing Columbus Blue Jackets forward Sean Corrali. There was an incident in front of the net. Corrali was originally called for goalie interference on Tristan Jari. Friedman took exception and jabbed Corrali twice. Um, I'd be okay if this was a suspension. the, The fine was definitely warranted. But if these were automatic suspensions, I'd be okay with that. I would, too. And I, and I could see him being fined for both spears if you really wanted to crack down. But yeah. to me, spearing is, as we've said before, in certain situations, it's never a hockey play. There's never something where you're making a play on the puck, something goes wrong and you end up spearing a guy. It is an intentional act of jabbing the guy with your stick. And I'm fine with a minimum one game suspension in all cases for spearing. And if there's a subsequent offense, say within a year, 18 months, even two years, you know what? Maybe we don't even need to limit it. But if there's a subsequent spearing offense, it should go up significantly. Right. I I am on board 100 percent with that, Todd. And I don't think it applies to every situation. I think there are plenty of circumstances where you do need to evaluate what happened. What was the game situation? What was going on in the play? Spearing, not so much. I I think you could do that in this case. And I think really uh, coming down on that. No one should be upset about it because I can't imagine there's anyone who can make a good argument as to why spearing should be permitted. Okay, it didn't take us long to get into some disciplinary suspensions, and it began with the Avalanche and Chicago Blackhawks. Third period of the game, Colorado forward Gabriel Landeskog hunted down Chicago forward Kirby Doc in the neutral zone. Doc was in a vulnerable position. He was on one knee, he was playing the puck when Landis Cog clobbered him into the boards. The Avs captain got two minutes for boarding. He and Chicago's Tyler Johnson each got two minutes for roughing. Landis Cog got himself a hearing with the Department of Player Safety. Now, I'm sure you did as well, Josh, but I watched this from a few different angles. I watched it a number of times. Now, Doc is in a vulnerable position. But the thing that I noticed first off, it's not a hit from behind. It is not a headshot, so I was kind of curious to see how it how it played out. But you had a very good point that this was eerily similar to Blake Coleman's hit on Jansen Harkins in the preseason, and the resulting suspension was pretty much the same. Yep, and I I'm actually surprised it was. You know, we saw two in the preseason. I was thinking Landeskog might get more based on his history. He's he's had a few suspensions in the past, so I thought that might ratchet up the penalty a bit. But no, it's a very similar situation. You've got to, as the boarding rule states, it's a player who checks or pushes a defenseless opponent that, in a way that causes them to impact the boards violently or dangerously. In most cases, that defenseless 
opponent is unaware of the hit but is on their skates and at the right height so when you've got a guy down on his knees uh, he's certainly more vulnerable than a player who's on his skates that's actively engaged in the play and and i thought just seeing the two of those if i'm looking at this this is a far more dangerous situation than with two players that are both on their feet and and i could see it being punished more harshly but nice to see two games come down for this one because very very dangerous and, and lucky that there wasn't a significant injury on the play yeah, that's exactly it. So fortunately, Kirby Dock is, is okay, and Landis Cog will serve the couple of games of suspension. Now, there is another hearing that is pending as we record this podcast, and this one is for Detroit Red Wings forward Dylan Larkin. The Bolts and the Wings played, and Matthew Joseph of the Tampa Bay Lightning kind of piled Dylan Larkin into the boards from behind midway through the second period of the game. Now, this is certainly in no way, shape, or form condoning the actions of Dylan Larkin, who really clobbered Matthew Joseph. But I can see why he was upset and got up and sought retribution on Joseph for the hit. Both players wound up with roughing penalties. Larkin got a match penalty for intent to injure Matthew Joseph for clobbering him as he skated by. But now Larkin's got the hearing, and Matthew Joseph, I do believe, could have and should have received at least a penalty of some sorts, if not a hearing, if not a fine. I'd have probably been okay with a suspension, too, for the hit from behind that sent Larkin into the boards. Yeah, I could definitely see that, Todd. I think what saved Joseph on the play is it, it looked like he was lining up a hit, and at the last second, before they collided in the boards, it looks like he pulled up on the play. He didn't drive... Larkin into the boards. He may have attempted to minimize contact. I mean, certainly he couldn't avoid it at that moment without uh, a huge change in body position. He still gave a, a light shove, but I'm wondering if player safety looked at this and, and thought he's he's trying to minimize contact. He's he's not trying to nail the guy into the boards and glass. Perhaps it deserved a penalty during the game, but maybe it didn't rise to the level of player safety disciplinary measures after the fact. That, that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, it certainly could have been a lot worse had Joseph followed through, had he kept his body right behind Larkin and give him a, a firmer shove into the glass. Certainly would have had a, a more potentially injurious outcome there, but still a dangerous play. So he dodges player safety. Larkin obviously doesn't. And the rulebook's pretty clear on the penalty that you get in the game. It's a match penalty for anybody who punches an unsuspecting or unwilling opponent and causes an injury. That's right there by the book. I'd be surprised if he doesn't at least get a game for this. Probably. Again, it just seems as though I, 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 I will agree to disagree with your interpretation of the Matthew Joseph hit. It was, if we're using previous, uh, the previous situation, that Dylan Larkin was in a vulnerable position in that he was heading toward the boards and did not see the opponent coming from behind him. I thought Matthew Joseph, although he may not have used his full force to drive him into the boards, he did not really attempt to minimize the impact of that hit. Well, it's it's definitely one that you don't want to see happen in the game. And I would say certainly deserving of a, a penalty call for that hit. 
like I said, I, I'm thinking that player safety just felt that the impact did not rise to the level of supplemental discipline. And remember, mm-hmm. they're they're operating in a vacuum. Whether or not they think a penalty should have been called on the play in the game is outside of their decision-making process. They might say, hey, you know what? That should have been a major penalty. But it still doesn't rise to the level of player safety discipline. And, and that's what they base their outcome on, not on what the referee called in the game. So I think from their standpoint, I understand it. But if I'm watching this, yeah, my arm's going up. No, I and I understand that it's everyone's interpretation is going to be a little bit different, which, of course, leads us naturally into our next game circumstance that I want to discuss. And that is whether or not a puck was kicked into the net. I think if it goes off your foot in some way, shape or form, it is kicked into the net. But it's the degree to which a distinct kicking motion, to use an NHL phrase, is used. And this one involved the Seattle Kraken in opening night of the new franchise against the Vegas Golden Knights, the other shiny franchise that's new to the National Hockey League. Was it a kick? Was it not a kick? Does it matter if it's the inside or the outside of the blade? Josh, I'm just going to let you explain this one because there's a, this this again, it depends on each individual's interpretation, I think, of whether or not you believe the puck was kicked into the net. Right. And and it also depends on what era of NHL rule interpretation you're looking at. So there <laughs> it used to be that anytime you turned your foot, anytime you deliberately positioned your foot to direct the puck into the net, the goal could be waved off. And the league loosened up and changed the rules and changed the interpretation of what they meant by a distinct kicking motion. And and most recently, that was before the 1920 season, when they tried to define a distinct kicking motion by one where it's clear that the attacking player has deliberately propelled the puck with a kick of his foot or skate and the puck enters the net. So now you are allowed to angle your skate. You're allowed to actively move your foot to angle your skate. You're allowed to twist your foot to direct the puck into the net. Directing the puck is permitted with your skate. It's the kicking and propelling part that now is the part that comes into play when trying to determine the distinct kicking motion. So to what degree does a skate propel the puck in? Obviously, if the skate is in a spot, if it's moving and the puck bounces off and goes in, we're we're allowing that. And we see that consistently from the NHL. How much of a kick is required, though? The examples that the league has, and you can go to scoutingtherefs.com, we've got a post up about this particular situation that includes the league's video explanation of the rulebook for kicked-in goals. If you've got a loose puck around the net and you kick it in soccer style, that's going to be waved off. It's That is clearly propelling the puck with your skate. The problematic area lies in between the two. You're turning your skate to deflect it in. You're moving your skate to get it in that position. And maybe you're moving your skate forward to help get it in the right spot to push the puck into the net. But how much is that person propelling it? And in this case, it it appears that the league felt that the skate positioning was a redirection, was moving it. It wasn't sufficient enough with the skate movement to propel the puck into the net. And that's why the goal was allowed to stand. It's really tough, Todd. You know, we went from, well, is there a distinct kicking motion to the finer points, which now is how much did the player propel the puck with his skate? And it's that gray area between, of course, a soccer style kick is no goal. And of course, a puck deflecting off a skate is a goal. But it's it's that in-between area that I think seems to confuse folks. Though I will give the league credit, they've been very consistent in this interpretation over the past few seasons. I agree with you that it is a very difficult determination to make. It's it's much more difficult as well 
if the player involved is moving. If a player is standing still, it's pretty easy to see if they're turning their skate or if they're making a kicking motion to kick the puck into the net. But when a player is charging toward the net, trying to to make a play or be available for a pass, that interpretation becomes much more difficult for, for anyone watching. Right. And it's it's perfectly legal to pick your skate up, to turn it, to move it, to reposition it. So the league is allowing players to have the freedom to move their skate as much as they want. So you've got moving players, you've got moving pucks, and the situation in this case with with a guy coming in and twisting his skate around, you know, was he kicking it in? Was he just turning his skate in an attempt to deflect it? And that's what it comes down to when the situation room takes a look at these plays. So understanding that we don't want players standing and kicking the puck because that can present other dangerous situations. Could we go to a rule or eliminate this is it a kick is it not a kick and simply say that if a puck goes in off a skate it's okay we could the whl has done that you can kick pucks outside the goal crease if you want to and the goal will count so you can take that option and go all the way in and say any puck off a skate even if you kick it is is legal that does open the door to pucks getting pushed in off other body parts and you know are we then looking to see did it go off his skate or his shin and did he intentionally push it in so it it opens the door for that i think there's really not an appetite to take away goals in the national hockey league so i can't see them coming back to disallow goals off skates we've opened the box effectively to allow goals off skates we've now expanded that to allow intentionally directed goals off of skates so At this point, I think the league's just happy to narrow down where that line is on what's legal and what's not. Free for all. Anything goes. (laughs) Hit you anywhere. The the NFL is... Andrew Shaw wants to headbutt some in. Come on. Exactly. The NFL is famous for the butt fumble. We could have the butt goal. The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.